This is Nutshell Politics, a show where we discuss what you need to know about current events, international relations, political conflict, and my favorite topic of discussion, terrorism. The mainstream media isn't always the best at reporting on international events. They often lack depth, context, and understanding, a problem unfortunately driven by ratings. But here, on Nutshell Politics, I seek to fill those gaps, and most importantly, to make sure you know what's actually going on out there. So let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am excited to be here with you guys for this week's episode. Now, uh, this actually, this past week was a big week for me. I had my doctoral graduation, my hooding ceremony, I had family in town, and so this week's episode is going to be kind of a, a short one, just because a lot of things going on. So what we're going to do today is talk about a variety of big elections that have been taking place around the world, because this time of the year, we have had elections in quite a few different countries. There's election in Spain, Ukraine, Indonesia. India's election is currently ongoing. There was uh, an election in Turkey recently that needs to be talked about. And probably one of the bigger ones is the European Parliament has undergone, or should, I should say will be undergoing elections in the next couple of weeks as well. And so I thought we could do just you know quick sound bites about each of these big elections so you guys know what's going on out there. Uh, so let's start with... Um, Actually, let's start with Spain. So about, hmm, when was this? About two weeks ago, I guess, Spain had their election. Uh, It's their third general election in four years. And this is because Spain's been undergoing a lot of changes recently, uh, in particular up in the region of Catalonia. And this is the region where you find the the famous city of Barcelona. Now, in Catalonia, there is, actually, there's multiple movements within this region for independence. And a lot of time, a lot of these separatist organizations have been really pushing hard for for secession from the rest of Spain and forming their own country of Catalonia. And this has caused a lot of problems for Spain over the years because that region is is hugely influential both for tourism, but mainly for, for economic reasons. They make up a fairly large chunk of the economy uh, within Spain. And this is about 20%, I believe, of the, the total economy of Spain. So if Catalonia did split from the rest of the country, they would lose about 20% of their overall economy. Now, over the years, Spain has tried to tried a lot of different things to try to make Barcelona and Catalonia happy and to keep these, these independence movements at bay. Uh, but it's been really difficult. And there's been a lot of groups, a lot of individuals who have really been alienated through these various processes and so what happened is that there was this kind of snap election that took place because spain needs a new budget and parliament has been refusing to pass the most recent recent budget of the prime minister because of some of these actions that he's taken in catalonia to try to appease some of these separatists and so we have this snap election to deal with with budget reasons and what happened is that the prime minister's party won. Now, the prime minister is uh, very left-wing, so this is kind of a socialist-style party, but they didn't win by enough to really have a mandate, and so they're going to need to work on putting together some sort of coalition with multiple other parties in the area, uh, in, in the country, in order to get much done. Now, one of these these brand new parties that's coming up that they may end up trying to form a coalition with, ironically, is a far-right party, uh, which is a party called Vox. 
And this is a this is a very nationalist party that's been getting a lot of steam and momentum in the country of late. Now, this election is really important for a variety of reasons, but mainly because it shows the the divided nature of Spain right now. And in particular, kind of how, how fractured the political system is within the country. Because this is the very first time that, that this kind of a far-right movement has won a, a pretty sizable portion of, of their Congress, or their parliament, I should say, uh, at least since the end of the dictatorship that Spain had back in the 60s or 70s. And so this is actually kind of an ongoing trend across Europe where we're seeing a lot of far-right movements start to gain steam and a lot of right-wing groups gaining power in their respective countries. And so this is now apparently carrying over into, into Spain as well. And so this election, I think, really kind of underscores a lot of the, the fractured nature of Spain right now. All right, that's Spain. Let's jump ahead to Ukraine. Now, Ukraine is kind of an interesting case uh, because this one, again, took place about two weeks ago or so. And they're, they've been having a lot of uh, problems over the years because of Russia. There's been a lot of tension between Ukraine, Russia, primarily over the Crimean region. If you guys don't remember, back in 2014, I believe it was, Russia moved in and tried to annex Crimea, which was a Ukrainian territory. And uh, Vladimir Putin, who's the president of Russia, has been really trying to to control that region ever since. Now, what he's been doing is uh, mostly military-based, although recently he made the offer of citizenship to any Ukrainians who were in areas that were controlled by separatists that were Russians, Russian-backed separatists, I should say. And in particular, he's been talking about trying to extend that offer to all Ukrainians, and so basically trying to make Ukraine... Um, like altogether, trying to offer them Russian citizenship. So that's a pretty big, bold move by Russia, and Ukraine is not happy about this. And so what happened is, I said about two weeks ago or so, they had a, a big election, and a man by the name of Volodymyr uh, Zelensky won the presidency. Now, Zelensky is a really interesting character because he's actually an actor and a comedian. And so if you ever saw the movie, this is going back a few years because it was a Robin Williams movie called Man of the Year, it was kind of a comedy built around this idea of a comedian running for president here in the United States. And that actually happened in Ukraine. And it was really interesting because this particular actor and comedian at the time was acting in a Ukrainian television show where he played the president. And then he decided to actually run for president and surprisingly, shockingly, maybe uh, won. And that's, I mean, it's, it's wild and it's crazy, but he, he basically won in a landslide because he was pushing a very anti-establishment campaign. Uh, he didn't really have a lot of specifics in terms of like what policies he was, he was supporting. And so everyone's been kind of up in the air about what's going to happen there. Uh, especially on the the side of like of Putin, how he was going to handle Putin and Russia. Now, his response to Putin's offer of citizenship to Ukrainians was actually very uh, fascinating. Over the weekend, he basically, I, I should say again, two weeks ago, over a weekend, uh, he offered Ukrainian citizenship to anyone who is suffering under authoritarian or corrupt regimes, and in particular, he names Russia. And so he basically, not only in this in this movement claimed that Russia is authoritarian and corrupt, but also tried to get Russian citizens on his side by offering citizenship into Ukraine 
um, because of this. Now, this relationship, I should say, between Ukraine and Russia is fascinating, really interesting stuff, but it also has a lot of implications going forward for uh, the U.S. because Russia is considered one of the countries that we keep a very close eye on, and movement of Russia into Ukraine has been a concern of the American people and the American government for a long time, but it also has a lot of implications for the EU, which is the European Union, because their economy can be very tied up in this, and their security is also very uh, sensitive at the, at the moment. And so people aren't really sure what to make of this situation. Uh, this this new move by, or I should say, the, the new president of Ukraine is still kind of a wild card. There's a lot of uh, unknowns about what he is going to end up being like in office. And it's so, so it's very unclear what this these latest moves by Putin and uh, the Ukrainian president Zelensky are going to actually amount to going forward. All right, so that's an update on Ukraine and the Ukrainian elections. Let's uh, move forward and talk about Indonesia. Uh, actually, before I move forward, I want to actually recommend that that movie I mentioned to The Man of the Year with Robin Williams. Actually, is a pretty good flick. Uh, it is funny, but it also, uh, I think, parodies a lot of some of the issues you might see in American politics as well uh, as, as an American comedian played by Williams you know, starts to run his race. Now, I won't spoil anything for you, but it actually is a pretty fascinating flick as well. So uh, anyway, let's move forward. Indonesia. So Indonesia had a, again, a few weeks ago, had a pretty big election. It was it was a really big deal. The whole country turned out something like tens of millions of voters, and they were electing the president. They were electing members of parliament. And so it was, it was this pretty big ordeal. And originally it was supposed to be kind of a multi-day thing because, you know, there's so many people and uh, some of the regions are kind of hard to get to the polls. They were offering kind of a multi-day thing, but the government at this point decided they needed to cut down on the election process. And they argued it was because of costs. And so they cut it back down to one day. But as I, as I mentioned, the problem here with so many registered voters, I think there's something like almost 200 million eligible voters in the country a lot of islands across Indonesia. So all of these votes are going to be very tricky to, to manage and they all have to be counted by hand. And so that move has been widely criticized to cut it back down to one day. And what this has meant too, is that it's actually put a lot of strain on election workers who are now having to work uh, excessively long hours, counting votes and dealing with it. And over, um, let's see when, it, when this was, I would guess maybe two weeks ago. Again, a lot of things happened about two weeks ago. Uh, what happened was there were in the neighborhood of two to 300 election workers that actually died because they had been worked to death, essentially. They had a lot of fatigue-related illnesses that came out from working excessively long hours. Almost 2,000 ended up getting sick. And all of this means that this, this election in Indonesia has really turned deadly um, and, and in kind of an unusual fashion. You don't really hear many stories about fatigue-related illnesses over elections, but this has been a pretty big deal, and the government is, is having to now compensate families for those who passed away, and they're, they're trying to really provide care for election officials. And it's really brought, to, brought a lot of international condemnation for how they're treating their staff and how they're handling this election. Uh, it's bringing a lot of attention to other issues, poor working conditions just around the world in general. Uh, this has been a concern of the United States and the West for a long time, but it really kind of highlighted it again and brought more attention 
to this this idea that you know, workers' rights in other countries are sometimes uh, very minimal or non-existent, and uh, so they're bringing a lot more of attention to these issues, particularly in Indonesia. But it's also kind of highlighting the issue overall around the world. But this is what's going on in Indonesia right now as they're dealing with a. Uh, a deadly election, uh, but deadly in the sense of fatigue, not necessarily like attacks or terrorism or anything like that, which is uh, pretty un unusual, I would say. All right, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick 60 second commercial break, and I will be back with you guys on the other side, and we'll talk about Turkey, India, and the European Parliament. So stick with me, and I will be back with you guys in about a minute. Hey guys, welcome back. Thanks so much for sticking with me through that short commercial break. Uh, we're going to dive right back into the topic of international elections and things that are going on. So I want to start with a, a quick and simple one with what's been going on in Turkey. Turkey has had a, a recent mayoral election. Then I want to jump into India, which is the largest democratic election ever uh, in the history of the world. Really interesting one. And then we'll jump into the European Parliament, which probably has the most uh, global implications of any of these. So let's start with uh, Turkey and the mayoral election at Istanbul. Okay, so there was an election in Turkey not that long ago, uh, about a week or so ago, I believe it was, and this election had a pretty shocking outcome. Basically, the president is a man by the name, I've talked about him on here, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. So Erdogan is a member of the AKP party, it's a it's uh, an acronym in Turkish, but it translates to the Justice and Development Party. And they are kind of the ruling party in Turkey. But as we've talked about on the podcast before, previous episode, he has basically been transforming the government into more of a dictatorship in, in Turkey. But they do have elections still, and it's not a full dictatorship. There are some democratic elements. And in particular, his party lost the mayorship of Turkey's biggest city, Istanbul, to an opposition group. And it was by a very narrow margin, but President Erdogan uh, pretty much just refused to accept the results. And so they're claiming there were a lot of ir irregularities, and they basically said that the vote needed to be invalidated and they're going to rerun it. And this has been crit criticized pretty widely around the world because it it's, seems a lot like a dictatorship. Again, as I said, Turkey is kind of moving that direction, is becoming more and more powerful, and they're starting to to basically um, fix elections is basically the, the complaint. When election doesn't go their way, they claim it was faulty and they're going to they're gonna rerun it. And so they're, they've made this, this decision to hold a new poll in mid-June, I believe it is. And a lot of people are very upset about this. So we're seeing a lot of protests across Turkey. Turkey's had protests over the years for a lot of different things. But uh, hundreds to thousands of people have gathered shouting anti-government slogans, trying to, to protest this. Now, this has actually been a pretty big deal because of Turkey's long-going argument that they should get into the EU, which, as we've talked about on, the, on this podcast before, is almost impossible to happen. Like, it's just not going to happen for a variety of reasons that we won't get into now. Is a quote from the French government. Uh, they need to show respect for democratic principles, pluralism, fairness, and transparency. And basically, that this, this rerun of the election essentially makes any sort of ongoing EU talks impossible going forward. And as I said, this has been kind of a criticized move from around the world. Uh, people are, are really concerned that this is basically disregarding the law, making it, making, it's another move away from democratic rule, democratic institutions, away from legitimacy. A lot of people, again, say this is a, another step in the road to di dictatorship. And this is something we're going to have to keep a really close eye on going forward because Turkey it has been making a lot of very troubling moves under Erdogan. I think this is something that could end up being a pretty big deal internationally 
not only for, for Europe and the EU, but uh, for the global system as well due to their relationship with Russia and in several other uh, powerful countries. And Turkey itself has been gaining in power and, and having a lot of concerns as well. All right, let's move forward, talk India. So India is a really fascinating election because they have nearly 900 million eligible voters who can participate in these elections. It is the largest democratic election in, in all of human history. It's so large, in fact, that they are doing it over a, a seven-phase process spread out over five weeks to give everybody a chance to vote. And it's, it's so extensive because they have a lot of uh, states there, a lot of local elections. There's something like 8,000 candidates competing across the country for over 500 seats in India's parliament. There's more than 300 parties total, especially kind of at smaller levels. And then that doesn't even count the independent candidates and others that are, are doing this as well. So this is a very complex situation to navigate. The, the two major national parties of India pull about 50% of the popular vote, which means that the other five major parties kind of make up the rest of that, which means that even a small percentage swing of voters can really have major repercussions on the election. And as India is seeing uh, record numbers of youth voting, kind of this new middle class they have, women, the election could swing quite drastically kind of depending on the outcome of these, of these groups. And these groups pretty much add up to about 15 million new voters. And so we're talking 900 million potential voters, but about 15 of them are, are brand new, uh, most of them very young. And so depending on how the youth vote, this could swing things quite drastically. And as I said to middle class uh, is, is another expanded uh, subgroup of people in India. There's also some questions about uh, whether this this year will be the kind of the year of the women. The turnout for elections has been rising drastically in the last few elections in India. And so it's not really clear how these kind of three big groups are going to end up voting. So we're going to have to kind of wait and see what happens. And as I said, they're, we're kind of right in the middle of this kind of seven-phase system. And it's quite possible that no party is going to win a clear majority here, and we're going to be dealing with a plurality. And so any sort of alliances they can build along the way may be key in, in creating new coalitions that allow them to actually make policies going forward. And so anyway, this multi-phase system will end on May 19th. That will be the last, uh, the last voting day. And as I said, this is the, the largest democratic election ever. So it's kind of a fascinating test of democracy. The number of voters here is, is larger than the entire population of Europe all combined. Actually, you could even throw in like Australia in there and it would still be more voters in this one election than all of those countries combined. So this will be a pretty fascinating test of democracy in general. It's also, I should, I should mention too, a very expensive proposition. Uh, it's estimated that the various parties across India spent something like $5 billion uh, on the previous election in 2014. So it's quite possible that we're going to see those numbers rise drastically. Uh, some people estimate even as, as much as double in, the next, uh, in this, in this cur current election, I should say. And so there is a lot of money kind of flowing right now through India on these elections. Uh, and we'll have to wait and see kind of what results come out of this. Because as I said, there's a lot of interest groups, women and the youth, etc., that we just don't know how they're going to vote. This actually may be the first time ever that more women are likely to vote than men in, in India. This would be the first time ever in a general election for that. And so parties that kind of 
pander more to certain demographics may actually end up benefiting pretty drastically. Now, there actually is a, another kind of element to this that needs to be examined, and this is that this election is essentially a referendum on the current prime minister, a man by the name of Narendra Modi. Uh, he led the BJP and, and its various coalition allies to a pretty historic victory back in 2014. Uh, it was the first time in 30 years that any party had won an absolute majority in an election. They didn't even really need to form a coalition uh, for this. And so this was, was pretty staggering, to be honest. But he has not really come through on several of his promises and so there are some some concerns that he may actually lose some of his his audience going into this next election. And so a lot of times, or I say, a lot of analysts believe that this election will be a referendum on Modi specifically, as a lot of opposition parties have really latched on to Modi specifically. Now I'm going to go ahead and recommend listening to uh, someone else on on this topic. There is a, a man, a comedian by the name of Hassan Minhaj. I would recommend listening to his show where he does a little bit of an episode, like a half hour episode on Indian elections. And he does a much better job than I do. He's, I believe he's from India. And so he can really dive into some of the concerns that they have. There's been a lot of uh, accusations of things like sexual assault uh, and, and other major concerns, but he knows the election way better than I do. And it's actually a really fascinating and very humorous look at the Indian elections. And I would highly recommend taking a a glance at that. Like I said, it's about half an hour. You can find it on YouTube. Just Google Hassan Minhaj. Uh, that's M-I-N-H-A-J. Uh, he does a really good bit on this. But with that, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, let's talk about the European Parliament, because this is another big election that's actually coming up between May 23rd and May 26th. So just a couple of weeks this month, citizens of the European Union, so there's 28 countries in the European Union, are going to the polls to elect about 750 members to the European Parliament. Now, the Parliament of Europe is the only directly elected institution in the entire EU. And as they become elected, most of them join kind of larger political groups uh, within the EU Parliament. And mostly what their role is here is to pass various EU laws. And ultimately, they represent something like 500 million citizens of the EU across, as I said, 28 countries. And so this is a, a pretty big deal. But there are a lot of subplots kind of going on here. One big one would be, is the UK a part of this election? As we all know, the UK voted to leave the EU back in 2016, and everyone thought they were going to be done by uh, the end of March of this year. But UK was unable to come to any sort of deal on how they were going to exit. And so they are still technically part of the EU, despite nominally on their way out. And so there's a lot of questions here as to what's going to happen and what the role of the EU is in this election, because the UK is obliged legally to take part in these elections unless they leave the EU before then. Then that looks very unlikely as the, the parliament in the UK has rejected all sorts of deals to leave the EU. So the UK will be participating in these elections despite kind of being on the way out and having a lot of concerns about the overall EU process. All right, uh, another big uh, subplot here is that rise of kind of nationalist or right-wing parties that have really kind of cropped up, and particularly a lot of populist parties across Europe. A lot of different countries have seen populist parties uh, start to rise, and in particular, a lot of these parties have been anti-EU. 
Uh, and even though these parties are not likely to gain a majority in the EU parliament, we do expect them to get a larger number of seats this time around. And so these kind of anti-EU parties can be very critical of the EU overall and kind of what it's doing to the continent of Europe. But the pro-EU parties argue that kind of the EU is really crucial in some of the big European issues, environment, working together on workers' rights, the economy, uh, even combating terrorism. But a lot of the anti-EU movements have been very concerned that the EU is taking away sovereignty from their countries and is not particularly effective in a lot of these cases either. And so there's a lot of questions about uh, just how many seats these kind of anti-EU parties may actually win in the EU and what the results of that may be. Again, they're not likely to gain any sort of majority, but the, the larger their uh, population is, the more influence they will have. Other big issues for voters in particular over the last couple of years, uh, immigration has been on the rise. Things like climate change have been rising. Uh, the economy actually was dropping pretty drastically for a while, but seems to have stabilized as a, as a big deal. And those are probably, probably the three biggest ones. Issues of crime might also be uh, influential in the election results. But the immigration one is probably the largest concern right now for voters. Uh, particularly because a lot of immigration that's been coming from non-EU countries during the, the migrant crisis in Syria and Yemen and other places. And there's been a lot of backlash from countries, particularly Germany, Hungary, Austria, Poland, Sweden, that have been impacted uh, pretty negatively by by some of these immigration moves because there are a lot of concerns that they are straining the economy in these countries, that they have seen crime rise as well, and that they just can't handle, like physically can't handle having that many more people in their economy right now. And so there's a lot of concerns about immigration that will probably serve as an influential topic for voters in this upcoming election. Now, if you're looking for countries to keep an eye on here in particular, obviously the UK would be a pretty big one. Uh, but other than kind of the Brexit uncertainty that there, keep an eye on Italy because they have a, a kind of very nationalist party there, kind of a populist coalition that actually may end up putting um, the famed former Italian prime minister uh, Silvio Berlusconi into the European Parliament for a, a party called Forza Italia. Also want to keep an eye on other kind of far-right groups because there's some election alliances here in Germany, Finland. Uh, there's a Danish party called the People's Party that you can keep an eye on there. Keep an eye on France. This is the first European election for President Emmanuel Macron. Uh, Macron's party, L-R-E-M. Uh, so those are probably the big ones to keep an eye on. Uh, but this is an election that will have some pretty drastic implications or and very immediate implications uh, politically for, for Europe. And then obviously for the way that the United States and the rest of the world interacts with Europe as well. Now, there are kind of three big parties to keep an eye on at the like the continent level. There's the kind of a center-right party called the European People's Party, or EPP. There's kind of a center-left party called the Progressive Alliance of Socialists and Democrats, or the S&D Party. And then there's a, a very liberal party called the Alliance of Liberals and Democrats for Europe, or the ALDE Party. Together, the three of them will probably win 50 to 50. I say 50 to 60 percent of the seats, uh, but that means there's a lot of other seats up for grabs by some smaller parties as well. There are a lot of opportunities here for some of these 
smaller nationalist parties to get a stronger presence, stronger influence than they ever have before. And so there's really a lot of storylines here, a lot of political ramifications that could be very complicated across the entire continent here. And this is something that's probably worth keeping a very close eye on if you're at all interested in international politics going forward. Uh, so stay tuned. And as we find out more about these in the upcoming weeks, I, I will definitely be keeping an eye on it and I will keep you guys up to date on what's going on there as well. Uh, but with that, we're going to go ahead and close out the episode. I hope that was really interesting for you guys. I know it was uh, not quite as deep as some other topics, but we went into a lot of different elections, which I think are really fascinating and could have some implications going forward as we've seen a lot of countries kind of un undergoing changes and a lot of countries undergoing new elections of late. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and shut things down. Uh, if you're interested in getting in touch with me, you can find me on social media. My Twitter handle is Justin R underscore Kinney. Find me there. Follow me. I'd be happy to continue this conversation with you or any other conversation. If you're also interested in contacting me because you want, there's a certain topic you want me to cover, let me know that and I would be happy to talk with you about it or add it to the rotation and cover that in a future episode. Now, if you want to get in touch with me on Facebook, the best way to do that is through my fiction author page. I write fiction novels. I have two out, called one called Precipice and one called Splintered State. I write them under an author name, which is J. Robert Kinney, and you can find that page, that author page on Facebook as well. So find me and follow me there and check out my books, which are both on Amazon for paperback and for Kindle, and I would uh, really appreciate that. Now, if you are interested in supporting me, uh, supporting this podcast or advertising on the podcast, anything along those lines, you can check out my Patreon account, which is online, or you just get in contact with me and I'd be happy to talk with you more about that possibility. Uh, but with that, let's go ahead and shut things down. I really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening, and I will be back with you guys next week. In the meantime, this is Nutshell Politics. My name is Justin Kinney, and I am out in three, two, one. Yeah.